Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. And welcome to week 28 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We've gone out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. I'm Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. And coming up on this week's show, we'll be starting off by taking a look at Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman, as you've never seen her before. We'll also be taking a look at The Mule, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Clint Eastwood. And then we'll take a look at How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, the final chapter in this fantastic DreamWorks trilogy. And then it's time for A Dog's Way Home, starring a relatively adorable dog. Oh. Uh, and next up, we'll be reviewing Second Act, starring J-Lo, the fantastic Jennifer Lopez. And then finally, we'll be taking a look at Escape Room. Unfortunately, we will. Uh, as well <laughs> as our main reviews, we'll also be doing our box office rundown, news and cinema at home. Uh, and this week, me and Craig uh, will both be reviewing uh, two films that have recently come out on streaming services. We shall indeed. Uh, David, how are you? You alright? I'm good. Uh, enjoying the new location. Craig, explain to our wonderful listeners what the hell is going on. Well, we're in a different venue, as you can <clears> actually see. So we, sh- we are actually bringing you a recorded version. Hello. Um, this week. And uh, Storm Eric has decided to blow our roof off or blow it. <laughs> oh, not blow. It's caused relative damage to the roof where every time the wind blows, uh, a rather large, weird, strange sound. Yeah, like a howling dog or ghost or something. Um, What is it with these storm names? Everything now. They're all named after relatively crappy names, really, aren't they? I mean, as my dad used to say, Storm Eric, or as they called it in the 80s, Wind. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's just like everything has to have a name now it's just like storm john storm storm well they're just really simple names yeah. aren't they you know they're not storm bernard <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so we're actually ended up in uh cineworld's meeting room mm. uh which is relatively large it's and... a lovely meeting room um so if there is a maybe a slight echo this week we apologize obviously we wanted to get the podcast out as soon as possible to our wonderful listeners but it's a slight change of environment um and potentially, I mean, there's so much potential for this room, isn't there? Mm. We've tried to numb the echo. We've surrounded ourselves with tables <laughs> that are in vertical positions. Uh, I think it's working to some extent. But um, we'll give it a go. And as always, we hope you enjoy the show. And let's kick it off in our usual way with the box of his wonder. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of February the 1st to the 3rd, 2019. David, kick us off at number 10. At number 10, we have The Favourite. It's been out for five weeks. It's grossed £13.6 million. It took £400,000 at the weekend. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos directs. It's got a brilliant cast. It's bizarre, um, but yeah. fantastically bizarre. 
and a film that we both recommended. It's nominated for a number of awards at uh, the BAFTAs and the upcoming Oscars. Definitely worth seeing in the cinema. In at number nine, we have Stan and Ollie. That's gross. £9.3 million overall. It took £400,000 at the weekend. It's been in the box office for four weeks. And I'm really happy that this is prevailing in the box office. Mm. It might be at number nine, but it's still there, which shows that people are still going out to see it. And I hope it will still be in there next week. It probably won't be, Mm. but I'm hoping that it will be. And I'm hoping it will also pick up a number of awards, maybe just at least one at the BAFTAs, which is actually tomorrow evening yes absolutely brilliant film well worth seeing above that at number eight we have can you ever forgive me starring richard e grant and melissa mccarthy both uh received oscar nominations for their performances it's been out for one week it's taken five hundred thousand pounds and it's brilliant it's not your typical film certainly for melissa mccarthy it's quite slow but it's well worth a watch it was really emotional and nearly reduced me to tears, which is almost impossible. Uh, so I really recommend this film. Melissa McCarthy, do more stuff like this. You were sensational. In at number seven, we have Mary Poppins Returns. It's still there. It's still there seven weeks mm. in a row. Uh, it's taken £500,000 at the weekend, a staggering £41.8 million overall. Um, we love this film. We were so happy that it did so well. Um, we've said every week since that we've loved it, and we don't need to say, any, say anything else, really. Yep. No, we don't. (laughs) Uh, Above that, at number six, we have Vice. Now, that has been out for two weeks. It's taken £2.5 million in total, took £600,000 at the weekend. And I've seen this twice now, and I still love it. I think it's brilliant. It has its faults, which I outlined in in my review. But Christian Bale is sensational. And uh, so's uh, Sam Rockwell and, 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 and Amy Adams as well. It's really worth seeing on the big screen. In at number five, we have Mary Queen of Scots. So that's taken £6.6 million overall. It's uh, taken £800,000 at the weekend. It's been in the box office. Mouth does not work today. Uh, It's been in the box office for three weeks. And it was a little bit of a a struggle for us to review, review this because we had different opinions in in the sense that it was a historical drama um we enjoyed certain elements of it but it just didn't work in a number of other elements mm. um but it seems to be doing quite well in the box office people are still going out to see it um it'll be interesting to see in the next few weeks where it slips down in the box office it isn't going to get any higher i don't think i wouldn't have thought so no, no. Above that, number four is Escape Room. It's been out for one week. It's taken £800,000 in total, which is what it took at at the weekend. We're reviewing it on uh, today's show. Uh, Stay tuned for that one, folks. (laughs) Yes. Uh, In at number three, we have Glass. It's taken £8.6 million overall. It's uh, taken £900,000 at the weekend. It's been in the box office for three weeks. And it's slipped down uh, a little bit since our last uh, episode. Um, I mean, we both had massive varying opinions Mm -hmm. on this film. Uh, You enjoyed it a lot more than I did. But um, M. Night, for me, isn't a typical director that I would love all the time. He's Mm -hmm. like Marmite, essentially. Um, And Glass, it was genius at some elements and relatively poor at other moments. Mm -hmm. Had a great soundtrack. um, But it seems people are still going to see it and people are loving it. So it's good to see that in that sense. Um, Just for me, it wasn't quite so worth it. Um, 
but yeah, for you, you did really like it. Didn't I, you? I I enjoyed it, um, and I think if you're going to see it, go and see it on the big screen. Uh, above that, at number two, we have Green Book. Um, believe it or not, that's only been out for a week. Uh, me and Craig saw this months ago as an unlimited screening. Um, it's been out for a week. It's taken £1.7 million uh, in that week. That's its total gross so far. Um, Mahershala Ali and uh, Viggo Mortensen, both, again, nominated for Oscars, and rightly so. They're, they're brilliant in this film. It's, it's a really good, uplifting drama. Um, I'm not convinced it's a Best Picture winner, um, but it has a real chance uh, at the upcoming Academy Awards, and it's a film that I, I really recommend seeing. It, yeah. you, you, you simply won't regret seeing it. It's just incredibly charming, this film. I think that's a great word to describe it. Um, so in at number one this week on uh, our box office rundown is How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Uh, so it's been out for one week. It's grossed £5.5 million, and that's also what it took at that weekend. Um, what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. And uh, we're going <laughs> to review it later on in the show. Um, but I, straight away, even in our box office rundown, I will tell you why I love it. It's just a great trilogy. Um, those of you who have watched the first and second will love this film. Um, so, yeah, number one, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. I haven't seen the first two, but I have seen this one, and I'll be reviewing it on today's show, and I uh, agree with Greg. So, David, would you like to do the box office rundown from 10 to 1 in your normal strange voice fashion? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will. At number 10, we have The Favourite, 9, Stan and Ollie, 8, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Seven, Mary Poppins Returns. Six, Vice. Five, Mary Queen of Scots. Four, Escape Room. Three, Glass. And number two, Green Book. And at the top of the pile, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. So it's time for our first review of Week 28, and it's Destroyer. So we follow LAPD detective Erin Bell, played by Nicole Kidman, who during her early stages of her career is placed undercover with a gang in, in the Californian desert. Uh, it ends with tragic results when the leader of the gang reappears many years later. Erin is now hardened by her past and must work her way through the remaining members of the gang and her own history with them to finally reckon with the demons that destroyed her past and be at peace. Uh, let's take a listen to a clip. I'm not good. I'm the one who's bad. It's not you. All right. I'm sorry for lying to you. I lied. I stole. And worse. You can be better than me. So director Karen Kusama, she's best known, or for me, best known for Jennifer's Body, which was actually a relatively enjoyable film, I thought. Um, you know, she's got quite critical, um, good critical praise for that film. Uh, but since then, she's gone on to do TV movies or TV shows. Um, and it would seem that Destroyer is on a completely div different level in terms of directing for her. Um, Nicole Kidman, as you can hear from that clip, is very highly um, an emotionally charged character. In, at that point, throughout the most of the film, she's playing somebody who is 
um, someone that we've never seen her play before. She's hardened by her past. She's weathered incredibly ill um, and looking yet very powerful in nature. And yeah, I, I thought that her performance within this film was just superb, like excellently done. Um, you know, it was apparent that when she was filming that she was incredibly ill as well, that like mm. she had the flu. And whether or not that that enhanced her performance or changed her performance in any way, you know, is is remains to be seen. But from from what my point of view is that it, she was brilliant and mm. and the the way that she portrayed this incredibly ill and and as I said, weathered person really came across and it was very strange to see her in that position, but brilliant mm. nonetheless. No, I, I totally agree. This is Nicole Kidman. Like we've, we've never really seen her before, you know, and it's not, it's not just the makeup. So it reminds me of Christian Bale and Vice and people who say, you know, the makeup makes a massive difference. It's her eyes. It's her body language. She looks like a completely defeated woman. Um, and she looks hollow, empty, you know, like you said, weathered, you know, obviously the cigarettes, the booze and the lifestyle hasn't helped, but emotionally she's she's really, really destroyed, actually, um, which I think sort of links in nicely with the name of the film, The Destroyer. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not an easy watch. It has this really sort of grim, downbeat and slow feel to it. Um, and it's very, very heavy. And it, and it reminds me a little bit of um, Francis McDormand's character in Three Billboards. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, sort of a woman of that age who's gone through a lot of heartache in her life and is trying to find reconciliation, trying to find peace. The only difference is, is that in three billboards, there's dark humour, there's light relief, which which breaks um, some of the more serious elements up. Whereas in this, you know, we don't get that. What we do get is a really interesting and unique perspective of LA. I didn't know if you you thought the same thing. So obviously when you think of Los Angeles, I think of palm trees and sun and, and the beach and, you know, I've been there, you know, some of the more beautiful elements of the city. But this is, the way this is shot, it shows the more toxic side of LA, um, the back streets, the under underpasses. It's shot with this sort of like, there's almost like a misty haze in the air. Um, it shows some of LA's worst parts and it just gives it a real sort of strange and, but captivating because it it's in LA and yeah. you never really feel like you're in Los Angeles as we know it. No, it it almost gives it this almost futuristic sort mm. of spin yeah. on it. Um, it, despite it being set in the current modern age, but um, the bit that I really did enjoy was the way that it it flashed back um to her past and and that story was woven in at the same time. Um, that worked really well. And I'm not going to obviously give away the, the story or the or the twist at the end, but there is a twist and mm. and I did not see that twist coming early on at all. I mean, actually, I didn't see it coming barely at all, not until very close to the end. No, did, the, I, did I think actually, oh, hang on a second. And it was brilliant. I thought, wow, actually, that really makes the film you know it rounds it off it, mm. it made the film brilliant i thought so so it's one of those thrillers but it's not a thriller that sort of builds in in pace and tension it, it's it's very one paced but like you said it has this this very powerful ending and i mean i think nicole kidman is sensational in this it, it's a real marmite performance if you go online and you look at the critics uh, reviews it's either they love it or they hate it and um, which shows it's a very committed performance it's not you know, she hasn't just turned up and, and done and read the script and done her, her yeah. job. She's really come and delivered a performance and some critics love it and others hate it. Um, and I thought it was brilliant. I thought she was almost 
unrecognisable. Yeah, sensational. Um, you know, and it's it's a really harrowing, really absorbing um, film to watch. Um, I mean, the pace may be an issue for some people, um, but there are um, there are some really captivating scenes as well. I mean, we have Nicole Kidman with with a shotgun at one point, um, and it's worth watching the film just for that scene itself. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the supporting cast is is absolutely brilliant. Toby Kebbell, um, who plays Silas, he's um, the the notable bad person in this film. Um, he was really great like he didn't have to do much and really induced fear into into the film um sebastian stan i thought was great as well i mean he's fantastic in a lot of films that we've seen um notably captain uh, america films that he does he he's great in those um it's just i've got a very good ensemble cast it's got a great leading actress in nicole kidman very well directed the story is brilliant it is a shame about the pace to begin with but it does pick up closer to the end maybe the last half an hour um you did feel like you were sitting in a film that was going on a, mu- a much longer mm. sort of time than than you were expecting you come out and you think course i feel like i was in there for two and a half hours three hours but mm. actually it was a lot quicker than that but nonetheless i'm gonna can i ask you the question Are you yes ready for no it? last thing i was gonna say yeah. also a, a fantastic soundtrack Yes. Um, really wonderful soundtrack, which... And we, we've talked a lot about soundtracks over the last few weeks. For example, Glass had a brilliant soundtrack, but mm. we didn't believe that what we were seeing on screen matched what we were hearing. Um, whereas in this film, the soundtrack perfectly matches the almost futuristic visuals that we've got. Yeah. Um, and yeah, finally, it is slightly too long. There's about 20 minutes of stuffing here. Um, <laughs> that they, they food analogy. That they could remove. Um you know, it just pads it out a bit when it's yeah. not actually necessary, but you can 100% definitely ask me the question. Okay, David, Destroyer, is it worth it? Yes, um, this film is is worth it. It's worth it for a number of reasons, most notably Nicole Kidman's performance. I think she's sensational. Uh, I think it's, it's a captivating story. It's quite harrowing. It's got a brilliant soundtrack. Visually, it's very um, effective as well. Um, yeah, for me, 100% worth it. For me, this film is 100% worth it as well. It's a shame that it's not actually in the box office at all. And it, well, at least in the top 10 anyway, at the minute, it, um, where it stands currently is actually very far down. Um, I can't actually see where it is it's that far down, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I think I saw the trailer for this and the, I think the problem the trailer had is it bigged itself up too much. Yeah. So the, the whole trailer was Nicole Kidman is sensational. It was one of those trailers that had newspaper snippets. So magnificent, 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 the times, you know, sensational, uh, the telegraph. And it had all of this, but it didn't really show you what the film was about. Um, Nicole Kidman obviously isn't recognizable. So Nicole Kidman fans may not actually realize it's her. Um, it's a shame because uh, it's a brilliant film. Yeah, uh, I still can't even see where it is on here. And it, I mean, there's 40 different films on there. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, even I can see the wife is still on there. <laughs> and that's at number number 39. But yeah, I mean, I actually quite gutted that it's not, mm. it's not anywhere near the top 10. And it should be. Mm. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, it's a brilliant film and very much so worth going to see in the cinema. So there you have it, folks. Destroyer, 100% worth it from both me and Craig. So it's now time for our second review on week 28, and it's The Mule. And this is about a 90-year-old 
uh, war veteran who falls on hard times and he has to find a way of paying the bills and he does the only thing that anybody is expected of him and that's apparently moving cocaine uh, across <laughs> the state of Illinois for the Mexican drug cartel. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's take a listen to a clip. Need help, sir? Oh, uh, officer, hi. You need help? Uh, no, no, I'm fine, thank you. What do you got there? Uh, well, pecans. I'm delivering pecans to my niece. And pecans? Syrup. Yeah, pecans. She makes the worst pecan pie you've ever tasted. I feel sorry for her husband, but and I feel sorry for the pecans, too. <laughs> yeah. So in that clip, we have good old Clint driving down the highway uh, in his truck full of drugs and guns. <laughs> uh, he pulls over and obviously a helpful policeman uh, is driving by and he wants to see if this old man's OK. Little does he realise um, that his uh, car has got a serious amount of drugs in and we're not talking kilograms. We're talking 50, 60 kilos. I think his biggest move is over 100 Just kilos. Ridiculous. And. In the back of his van is where he's got pecans because obviously he's a horticulturist. He loves growing his own plants and we'll come on to that a bit later. But our uh, trusted police dog obviously can sniff out these drugs and it's one of the better films, uh, one of the better clips uh, in the film actually. Um, quite a really quite tense scene but Clint Eastwood's character remains so calm and that's quite typical of him throughout the film. Um, this is Clint's 37th film uh, as a director and it's not his best by a long, long way. Uh, I'm actually really surprised, Craig, uh, with the Rotten Tomatoes scores. You know I love my uh, Rotten oh, Tomatoes. You, you do love them. 70% of the critics like it and 68% of the audience like it. And I think that's way too high. Um, the script at times in this film is atrocious. Uh, it's really, really bad. Um, Diane Weist, uh, who's who's in this film uh, as a supporting actress role, she actually won an Oscar in 1995 for a Best Supporting Actress role. She's a very accomplished actress. She's terrible in this film, strangely bad. Um, in a number of scenes, she just doesn't fit the character. She doesn't play the character very well. Um, it's painful to watch for me at times. Yeah, I mean... Um, we Sorry, I was just going to say, so we should probably mention that this is directed by Clint Eastwood um, and Clint Eastwood is obviously starring in the film as well. Mm -hmm. And for him in this film, I think he's superb. Yeah. I think the surrounding cast, despite being very accomplished actors and actresses, which a large majority of them are, I mean, we've got Bradley Cooper, uh, Diane Weist, as you just said, um, accomplished actresses and actors, yet didn't really fill the shoes. And why is that? Well, I think it's down to Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood's directing. I think the script is also letting it down. I think the dialogue in this film is pretty shoddy as well. Mm. So for some reason, Clint Eastwood gets all the best lines. He gets all the best direction because it's him. He knows it. He's embodied this part. Yet his direction for the other actors and actresses just doesn't prevail. Mm. And it makes for a pretty unwatchable film. So let's go back to Clint's last film that he directed, 1517 to Paris. Now, you saw this. I did not see this. And you described it as it was pretty much unwatchable. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about that film and how that maybe compares to this one, if you can. Well, I mean, compared to the 1517 to Paris, this is an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, that was unwatchable. A, a truly 
inspiring story about these um, Americans that uh, took down this uh, terrorist plot on a train. Yeah. And, and Clint took a massive risk of actually allowing the people who um, carried out that act of you know hero- heroism to play themselves. The problem is they're not actors and they can't act. And then the script that they're given is also terrible. Um, so you can draw some comparisons, but this this is far better. Again, it just it, it's not necessarily Clint, Clint Eastwood's direction because at times it's brilliant. There's some brilliant um, cinematography. There's some lovely shots, particularly at the end. There's a there's a couple of drone shots of where he's driving that are beautiful. Yeah. Um, there's some sort of dash cam shots of when he's driving in his car, singing along, and that work that works. But the problem is, is that the film is confused. It has a comedy element, so we see Clint, um, we see Clint Eastwood's character uh, womanizing and you know drinking and getting involved in some drug use when he's with the cartels, and then at the same time, two minutes later, he's with his ex-wife and with his daughter talking about how he regrets his actions and how he's a changed man, and what we're seeing and what he's saying don't add up, and Clint Eastwood's character is very, very confused, a very confused character, but. The saving grace, Craig, is he's very likable. Yes, yeah, I can, I can, I can relate to that, and I can, I can see that comparison working. But with fifteen seventeen to Paris, just going back to that, just a little bit, just before we carry on, the actors in the film weren't actors; they mm-hmm. were the real people, and that that took a lot for Clint Eastwood to do and to try and get him to direct those people. Now he did not manage that at all; it did not pay off. He has now accomplished actors in this film to direct. So somewhere along the line, something's gone wrong with this film in terms of the supporting cast. And I think the thing that is to blame is Acklin Eastwood. Now, you're saying that the cinematography was superb. Um, some of the camera shots were really great. I don't necessarily think that's down to Clint Eastwood. Now, you have a cinematographer who comes and chooses the cameras, places the cameras. You have different camera operators. He may not have that much input in that sort of stuff. He may just be coming up to the actors and saying, I want you to play this scene out in this way. Mm. He may not be giving the direction that's needed to these key people, i.e. Bradley Cooper, etc., to to play the role how it really was supposed to be played. That and the script for the dialogue for those characters wasn't great either. Mm. No, no, it's, it's, de- it's definitely a valid point. I mean, uh, like I said earlier, this is Clint's 37th film as a director and he's worked with Bradley Cooper before in American Sniper, which is a fantastically yeah. well-made film, well-acted, well-directed. Bradley Cooper actually said he wanted to do this film for another chance to work with Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. All this film actually does for Bradley Cooper is show how good he is in A Star Is Born. Yeah. Um, because I remember thinking, blimey, this is the typical Bradley Cooper, slicked hair, you know, in a suit, you know, a bit like he is in um, The Hangover, that sort of cool Bradley. Well, even Limitless. Uh, Limitless, that brilliant. kind of Bradley Cooper role, or even yeah. Silver Linings Playbook, that sort of real typical Bradley Cooper-esque role. And it just shows you how good he is in A Star Is Born. There is something afoot here. Um, but throughout all of its problems, it still remains at its heart uh, quite an interesting story. Uh, it's based on a true story, actually, of Leo Sharp, who was a, an ex-veteran who started dr- uh, smuggling drugs in his late 80s for the Mexican drug cartel. And Clint Eastwood gives it a go. And there are bits that are, are enjoyable, but as a whole film, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to see a Clint Eastwood film, um, then I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend... Um, Gran Torino, very similar style, directed and starring Clint Eastwood, and I think it's far, far better than this. 
Yeah, I mean, this film had some great humour in it. It was very moving and emotional in parts. But it was, as I said, it's let down by the supporting roles overall, I think. Um, And Andy Garcia as well. I think we should touch upon his character as well. I think he had a brilliant role in this film and he was great up until a certain point in the film where it took a a, a turn that we weren't actually expecting and should not have happened. Mm. It just was very lazy writing, I think. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what ultimately is letting down this film. Lazy writing. I have one last theory. Okay. Mr. Eastwood is obviously getting on. Uh, he, he He's getting older and he does really look old in this. Mm. The film has a rushed feel to it in terms of maybe rushed direction, uh, rushed uh, script. Because, like I said, he's getting older. He wants to make these films and he wants to get them out. And it feels like a project that it needed a bit more TLC. It needed a bit more time. Uh, and the ultimate end product would have been a bit better. Whereas I think he tried to get it out sooner rather than later. And ultimately that's for me, been the downfall of this film. Yeah, I agree. Oh, one of us needs to ask the question, don't they? Yes, uh, I'll ask you, Craig. <laughs> the mule, is it worth it? Um, I am going to say yes. Despite all the things that we have said about the film, I still enjoyed watching this on the big screen. And it felt um, like it, you know, a couple of hours to kill at the cinema. Um, if I'd seen everything else, if I had... Um, you know, nothing else to watch, I would go and watch this. Um, But if you have other films that you want to go and see, go and see those. And then if this has gone out of the cinema, it's not that bad that you've missed it, basically. Yeah, for me, look, if you're an unlimited card holder, then um, certainly check it out. But if you're just a regular cinema goer and you're going to be parting with your money to go to the cinema, I wouldn't recommend The Mule. Um, It's... It, it's okay. It, it, it succeeds on some levels, but overall, I think it's it's not a brilliant film. Um, if you want to see a film of this style, then buy Gran Torino on DVD. Yeah, so uh, that's our review of The Mute. So it's now time for our third review on this week's show. And that happens to be How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is number three in the trilogy as well, um, from the DreamWorks studio. And uh, what is this film about? Well, this film sees Hiccup and Toothless go up against Grimrule, a dragon hunter, hellbent on destroying all Night Furies. And Hiccup is determined to save all the dragons and bring them back to his home. But without overcrowding and the threat of Grimmel on the horizon, the Viking clan must find a new home. Let's take a listen to a clip. What are you? Here to rescue these dragons, so... We uh, get walked through fire! Dragon scales! Dragons shed a lot. Oh, I know a demon when I see one! No human legs are that steady! <laughs> so, that's a clip from really early in the film, and I'm sure you agree, uh, a very, very funny clip. Now, 
I went into this film completely blind. Um, I've not seen either of the first two films. I hadn't even seen the trailer for this. Uh, so what I did is I jumped online. I had a brief look at some of the synopsises. Um, and the first thing that struck me was actually the reviews of the first two films. Both the first two films had over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really good um, audience reception, but also critical reception. So I went into this film with reasonably high expectations, but deep down thinking it's going to be rubbish. It wasn't. It was really, really good. Um, I was so impressed with the film. Obviously, my attachment to uh, the main characters, uh, both human and dragon, wasn't there at all. But 10, 15 minutes into the film, I already had that connection. So people who'd seen the first two films must have gone in with a real connection. And the, the film was really good. You know, the, the script was was good. There was plenty in there for adults. There was lots in there for children. But what stands out is the visuals. This film was visually stunning, so colourful, so bright. I saw it on super screen and I recommend seeing it in the biggest film, uh, biggest screen possible, you know, IMAX, super screen, this kind of stuff. Because it was visually really, really nice to look at. And there was a couple of standout scenes for me, actually, um, particularly the one where uh, Toothless is involved in this sort of strange, bizarre mating ritual that you'd normally sort of see on a David Attenborough uh, documentary. And it's it's brilliant. There's no dialogue at all. And it's probably four or five minutes of these two dragons doing various different dances. And the way it's shot, it, it's it's just really, really wonderful um, to look at. you know. And, and actually, the thing that stood out for me is most of the people in my screening were actually adults. So it had the real film feel of a film that, Adults had taken their children to 10 years ago when the original came out, liked it so much that they'd gone and subsequently seen this. Um, everyone in the uh, screening I was in loved it and, and I really enjoyed it as well. So, yeah, I mean, let's take it back to the very beginning then from, from my part of this review. Um, I absolutely loved this trilogy. I loved the first film. I really adored the second film. And I went into this one expecting really good things. And I came out of this like you know, blown away simply because it was even better than I was expecting. I, I thought as a, as a trilogy, as a last film, it could be slightly worse than the other ones. There's always going to be one bad film in these trilogies. Um, you know, doesn't matter what you're looking at trilogy wise. There's always one that's just a little bit naff. Toy um, Story one, two and three. Exactly. All um, perfect. And now there's a fourth one coming out. Oh dear. Exa exactly. <laughs> Um, there was some trouble during the production of this film. It was due to come out in June 2018, but Universal purchased DreamWorks. Um, multiple dates of this film was pushed back due to the Lego movie coming out and not it didn't want it to clash, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, there were reports that something maybe was wrong with the film, et cetera. But actually, this film was perfect. This film was exquisite even. It, the, the emotion I went in anyway being connected and invested with the characters was already there. As for yourself, you went in, didn't have that connection, but you built it very quickly. So someone like me, mm. it was already there. They had to build on top of that, and they managed to build on top of that so well. Um, as you were saying, the visuals were absolutely brilliant, and it was so vivid and, and colourful. Mm. Um, there was scenes where they go and find the hidden world, and when they find the hidden world, it's just majestic yep. in nature and so beautifully done in CGI. And it's it's such a wonderful thing to see when a film is able to come from the first one where you can actually see the differences in CGI quality, and you can see how far the technology has come. It's staggering. Mm. It really is, and it, it humanises these characters characters even more than you've 
ever ever seen before and you know even the dragons have a human quality to them um toothless is just superb in the way that he's portrayed on the screen and how he's connected with with um with uh, hiccup and it's just a wonderful friendship I mean, you you spoke about the visuals there. Um, I'm in total agreement. I mean, they were sensational. When they go into the hidden world, it, it unlo- unlocks this sort of world of colour where actually the dragon scales, once they go into the hidden world, seem to come alive. So all their colours become much more vivid. And it really had a feeling of of Avatar. Yeah. If you remember yeah. some of the scenes in Avatar, not only the idea of sort of in Avatar where islands are floating and stuff like that, but this, you go down into a waterfall, into this sort of underground hidden world where everything's of different sizes, like an avatar, um, all these bright and vivid colours, and it was just brilliant. And it was, again, there wasn't much dialogue, obviously, being dragons, um, you know, but it was just sensational to look at. And it was, it was, uh, you know, I was really, really impressed by this film. And, I mean, I didn't cry or I didn't tear up, but there was a little lump in the throat at the end, and that was after only seeing this for the first time. You know, it's got a lovely ending, and there's a real story here and a real wonderful story about friendship and companionship and when to you know let go of of friendship and and when to put your friend before yourself and this kind of stuff and um also you know coming of age it's a coming of age thing uh for for our protagonist um yeah i thought it was great yeah i mean there's been multiple spin-offs from these films as well it's based on a a very good book as well it's a a best-selling book um so they had some great material to work with and we you know those who have read these books to their children know that already um just simply the fact that we're concentrating on the first three films especially me who's who's seen um the other two films it's it's it is just a wonderful trilogy and um as as any parents who are listening to this film or listening to this review um don't go go and take your child to see these this film but watch the other ones as well because they will absolutely love these characters if they haven't seen them already because actually probably most parents have shown these films to their children. They're, they're, it's it's big. It's huge, these films, mm. um, and and just brilliant. So I haven't actually got anything else written down here to talk about the films. Um, so, David, I'm going to ask you the question. Uh, how to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Is it worth it? Yes, this is 100% worth it. Like Craig said, it's brilliant for adults. It's brilliant for kids. This is a real family film. You know, it's up there with Incredibles 2 for me. Um, it, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's fantastic animation. It's it's brilliant and uh, the kids will love it and it's great for adults as well. Thoroughly recommend seeing it and on the biggest screen possible, you know, Super Screen, IMAX, IMAX 3D, 4DX, all of all of the above. <laughs> Go and see it and enjoy it. It's it's a, it's a really really good film. I should uh, just quickly note that I don't think this film is available in 4DX, but <laughs> if it was. Then go and see well, it. Well, actually, I, one thing I will say, it almost was a 4DX experience for me because I had a, a small child behind me who was loving the film. And every time his favourite dragon came on, he would boot my seat, um, <laughs> which I didn't actually mind because he, you know, his dad apologised. I said, don't worry about it because it almost enhanced the experience. You know, he was young and he was really enjoying it. And every time his favourite dragon came on, I got a good swift kick in the back. <laughs> um, so it was almost like a simulator for me, but brilliant. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, as you've said, go and see it on the biggest screen possible. I think IMAX would be probably the best experience for this film. And I think um, also just the ability to to go as a family, I think, is is perfect. You've got your finger up in the air, David. You've got one more thing to say. One more thing. The soundtrack was sensational as well. 
really beautiful. Everything about this film was great, wasn't it? it the was soundtrack and the, and the visuals. Um, I, I'm actually going to download the soundtrack. I want to find out who it's by because it was just beautiful music. Mm. Um, yeah, like we've said, go and see it. I command you. Yes. Um, and by the way, yes, I, I, I think it's worth going to see if you haven't actually <laughs> got that from the review yet. Um, and yeah, see it on biggest screen possibles possibles possible and uh, that is our review of how to train your dragon the hidden world you're listening to is it worth it the film review podcast we would like to recommend watford's brand new state-of-the-art cineworld Cineworld Watford puts audiences at the heart of the movie experience. It boasts nine state-of-the-art screens, all which deliver crystal-clear projection and powerful surround sound. The cinema also has a special IMAX with laser projection. And finally, Screen X is the world's first multi-projection theatre technology that provides moviegoers with a 270-degree panoramic viewing experience by expanding the screen onto the side walls of the auditorium. This tech is exclusive to Cineworld in the UK. As well as this, enjoy Cineworld's usual wide variety of snacks and drinks or have a coffee in the brand new downstairs Starbucks. So uh, make sure you check out Cineworld Waffle. Yes, welcome back. It's now time for our fourth review of the episode, and we will be looking at A Dog's Way Home. So, what is this film about? Well, when the house ruins across the street are finally being cleared, Lucas takes it upon himself to rescue the various dogs and cats within the ruins of the old house. Uh, He comes across Bella, a dog that, by the way, looks nothing like a pit bull, um, but that doesn't stop the local authorities trying to catch her. Uh, Lucas adopts Bella, and all is well, dear Crag, until Bella, for some inexplicable Explicable reason is classified by the authorities as a pit bull. This basically means um, that she can't go out anywhere in public without the authorities having the right to take her. Lucas, uh, therefore, must teach Bella the most important trick of all, go home, so that if she's ever in danger, she knows exactly what to do. Let's take a little listen to a clip and then we'll jump into our review. Go home. That's it, Bella. Go home. Best game ever! Doing go home meant I should put my head right here. Yes! You did it! You did go home! Well done! That was impressive. Girl. Wow. I loved making Lucas happy. So there you have a clip where Bella is learning to go home. Now, just to put that clip into a bit of context, like I said, um, this beautiful dog that looks much more like a Labrador than it does a pit bull is classified as a pit bull, which means, and they quite interestingly explain, actually, that they don't have to have any proof that it's a pit bull. But if the authorities say it's a pit bull, then that means it's a pit bull. Um, and they can basically take take the dog and impound it, which was really quite sad to hear, actually. Um, so what Lucas does is he trains her to go home so that, If he's ever taking her out, he can basically say to Bella, go home, she runs home, the dog gets back on their private property so the dog um, cannot be taken. Unfortunately, however, the local sort of pet patrol, who's played by a sort of stereotypical pantomime villain, (laughs) um, 
is so obsessed about this dog that it's really not safe for her to go out at all. So she ends up finding sanctuary at a friend's house, which is about four, five hundred miles away. And she keeps hearing the word home, which having had this training leads her to go on this epic adventure where she um, tries to go back to Lucas's house. And that's the basic premise of the story. It's like a, a love story between Lucas and the dog. And it's about man's best friend and this wonderful dog trying to make this completely ludicrous 500 mile trip home um what did i think of it well it's very stereotypical and like i said in terms of the pantomime villain you know the guy is literally he's the dog catcher like the dog catcher in um 101 dalmatians he comes with that long stick with a noose on the end he's like i'm here to catch a dog and i'm the uh, i'm the bad guy also i think it's quite confused is it a kid's film is it an adult's film um i'm not sure it's, um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, Bryce Dallas Howard is the voice of the dog, and I think when it's a when the dog's young, when when Bella's a puppy, that voice works really, really well. But it stays with the same pitch, pace, and tone when Bella becomes older, and it's it's very hello, oh, I'm a dog, and it's 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 quite graining actually, and quite annoying, um, and very patronising. Um, which works for kids, but this also tries to be an adult film, and it literally spoon feeds you like overly spoon feeds you. So it's got a very simple plot. Dog must go home. (laughs) But we are like repeatedly reminded again and again and again. And it's too much. Kids aren't stupid. Kids understand go home as, as a dog understands go home. And for me, it just makes it a, a slightly more awkward watch. Um, for, for an adult, the time flow in this film is also bizarre. Um, the time scale is, well, it is bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, you're t- the time scale is about two years mm. in how long it takes her to get back home. And in between, between that time, there is certain things that happen. She almost gets different owners in that time mm. as well. She makes friends with mountain lions. It's or a mountain, cougar. A cougar, sorry. <laughs> um, of sort, or a big cat, as she says in the film. Um, big um, kitten, big she calls kitten, it. Big yeah. Um, and, and a homeless man she basically befriends as mm. well, which was actually very sad. And it, it is confused in terms of, is this a kid's film? Yeah. Or is this more of an adult film? It doesn't quite know where to go with it. Yeah. With, with, with the narration, it, spoon, it spoon-feeds children. Mm-hmm. It's highly spoon-feeds adults in that sense then. It's the inner voice of the dog. It's not a dog's mouth being animated and the dog can talk. It's her inner voice. She's narrating the entire film. And it, is, it comes across very patronising. It comes across as a bit too much. It, it could have been a lot less. We didn't need it throughout the entire film. We understood the emotion that she was portraying on screen by simply just looking into her eyes sometimes and the way that she moves on screen. Actions speak louder than words and we didn't need the words for this film at all, to be honest with you. Um, and it would have worked just as well, mm. if not better, without that narration. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy certain parts of this film. There were some really humbling moments to it. It was just too contrived almost. It just too much, just too much spoon feeding. And that's as much as I can say about it, really. It just, it just, it just went too far on those elements. And, you know, it, it just very, very emotional. And I think children would be, would find it very upsetting, actually, a lot of this film. Mm. Very yeah. upsetting. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very valid point. You know, almost too many characters. So when Bella's on this journey home, like you said, she comes across you know, a couple of gentlemen that she seems to spend a lot of time with and then a homeless person. And there's some quite heavy stuff here, like emotional stuff. Um, 
and some real heavy themes that sort of, okay, you know, adults can have a look at that and, and get to grips with it. But for, for children, not so much. And, and that's the problem. It's a film that tries to appease adults and appease children and ends up not really pleasing um, either of us. I mean, I, I have to talk about Homeward Bound, uh, The Incredible Journey. Oh, you have to. Um, it's, it's ingrained in this film, isn't the, it? The, the 1993 Disney version, which, by the way, has 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, just plugging it there. Um, <laughs> it came out in 1993. I remember watching this as a kid. Uh, it's still a film that I watch probably once once a year, maybe once every couple of years with my mum. Um, a lot of happy childhood memories. And unfortunately, this film plagiarizes that story um almost not word for word but action for action there's a number of incidents in this film that you can basically say well that's come straight from homeward bound the incredible journey and i think homeward bound the incredible journey is a better film it's better for kids it's better for adults and it's also got three animals we've got two dogs and a cat um which means we've got more you know, it's not just the one animal and there's more interaction between them. The voiceovers, you've got some fantastic voiceovers. Uh, and for a film that's now 25, 26 years old, uh, it still stands up and it's brilliantly shot. Um, and I, I would thoroughly recommend uh, seeing that. Um, and in terms of this film, Craig, obviously I've plugged Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Mm, you have. But A Dog's Way Home, is it worth it? I'm going to say no, this is not worth seeing on the screen. It feels like a TV movie made for Netflix and Netflix don't really want to push it out too fast. They've buried it in their sub menu somewhere where you can't ever really find it um, and it's lost to the world. However, it did get a cinematic release somehow and uh, we're telling you not to go and see it. Well, I'm telling you not to go and see it. David, what did you, did you think it was worth it? No. Um, oh, good. I, I I don't think this this film's worth it either. Look, it's not terrible. It's not a terrible film. There are some nice moments, and at the end of the day, if you like dogs, then you're probably going to like a majority oh, of this film. God, yeah. But there are better films. Uh, Homeward Bound and Incredible Journey. You know, arguably Marley and Me. There are other films that you could rent at home on DVD. I don't think this is a, a worth uh, a trip to the cinema for. It's not something that needs to really be seen on the big screen. Uh, and it's not something that I would recommend personally. I mean, if you see it, I don't think you'll be disappointed, but for me, not worth it. Yes, that's right, and it is indeed time for this week's news. Uh, we've both got a couple of uh, news items each, uh, and I will kick off by letting you know that Aquaman is planning a spin-off horror movie oh, no. um, called The Trench. Uh, now, many of you n- will know that James Wan, who directed Aquaman, is is more known for his, his horror films, including Insidious uh, 1 and 2, which he was uh, um, producer of. Um, and Warner Brothers is working on a horror-tinged Aquaman spin-off, The Trench. Uh, the DC Extended Universe has its biggest hit yet, uh, thanks to James Wan's underwater adventure. Uh, it made over a billion dollars uh, at the box office, and they're looking, basically, to make this sort of spin-off. And it comes from a scene where Aquaman dives down, and he's got all these creatures coming after him, and it was very, very scary. Um, you know, it is quite a surprising turn of events. We're not actually sure if any of the main characters or protagonists are going to star in it. Um, but it, what it is, is it gives James Wan an opportunity to flex some of his horror muscles, um, extend the DC universe and potentially uh, make them a little bit more money. Um, 
I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Um, you know what? So am I. Because, I mean, some of Aquaman was totally ridiculous, but actually I find open water, the ocean, very, very scary. Yeah. Um, the unknown, you know, if you're, if you're in the sea and you're looking down, it's like unknown. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about, you know, the, the floor of our oceans. Yeah. So I think James Wan has an opportunity here to, to take us and submerge us into a dark, hidden underworld. And yeah, you know, James Wan's a very good horror director and I, and I can see that working. I, I, I hope it will work. The thing that I am worried about is that they did, what they didn't do very well in the Aquaman, Aquaman films was actually make it look like they were underwater. It felt like they were in outer space mm. rather than underwater. So if they can make it simulate it being more underwater, then I think I'll probably enjoy it a lot more. Um, but other than that, I'm not really sure I'd like that. Um, so like, that's my first piece of news, Craig. Yeah, my p- next piece of news then, um, it's about Woody Allen. Oh, no. And he's suing Amazon for $68 <laughs> million for dropping his next film, which is A Rainy Day in New York, um, which was set to be released, I think, in the cinema distributed by Amazon, and it probably would have gone to Amazon Prime um, on the internet. Um, so essentially what's happened is they've just dropped it, They've they've not given him any good reason why. Um, they've literally just binned it. They've literally just binned it. Um, Woody Allen actually invested his own money into making a rainy day in New York with the promise that they would fund, uh, fund the film afterwards and give him back whatever it costs to make um, and then distribute it for him. Um, but they, they're just like, no, we're not, mm. we don't want to work with you anymore. And, um, you know, the deal was that it was going to be like a four-film deal, um, one of which was uh, Wonder Will. Um, which we absolutely hated, and I can see why they've dropped him in that sense. I mean, he is a good director. He has made some fantastic films, um, but all of the press that's been going around, which is, isn't proved or anything, um, we can't really comment on it, to be fair. Yeah. Um, it, it just feels like Amazon have just dropped it because they just don't want to work with him anymore, and they have no legal ground to actually just stop and drop films like that. I mean, A Rainy Day in New York is starring Jude Law. It has Timothy Chalamet in it. It has quite a really good cast. And I mean, Jude Law, Timothy Chalamet, you're selling it to me already. Oh, well, Jude Law has defended Woody, Al- Woody Allen. Um, Timothy Chalamet did distance himself from Woody Allen. He's uh, said that any profits from the film that he was going to make has been donated to charity. Um, so it's, it's really split a lot of people. And Woody Allen's just quite clearly annoyed with Amazon and is just suing them for $68 million. So, yeah. So for my second piece of news, it's actually about A Quiet Place, or in fact, A Quiet Place 2, which is reportedly going to start filming this summer. Uh, Last week, we had uh, the fantastic Paul Newbegin uh, on the show, and he told us a little bit about how much he loved A Quiet Place. It's a film that we both loved. Uh, And apparently, John Krasinski, who directed, co-wrote, and starred in the film A Quiet Place, has been working on the script for its upcoming continuation. Um, Now, we're not 100% sure on on the details of who's going to be in it. Is Emily Blunt going to be in it? Uh, Is all the original cast um, who who survived going to be in it? Uh, We don't know, but we do know that there's... A script has been written that they're due to start shooting it in the summer. And this is news. Whether it's good news or bad (laughs) news, I'm not 100% certain. If it's anything like the first one, A Quiet Place 2, it'll be a fantastic film. The problem is it was so unique, it was so different, and it was so niche that by making a second one, they they might... I mean, they can't ruin the original, but I'm not sure it's needed. Um, I'm certainly going to go and see it. 
Uh, apparently, it's due to come out sort of next May, so we're looking about 14 months' time. Um, but yes, A Quiet Place 2 is in the making. Hmm. Okay, so another film then that I'm going to talk about in the news then is a film that we've been waiting to see a sequel to, and that's World War Z. And unfortunately, it's been shut down again. It's in pre-production, been in pre-production for ages. Um, Paramount have again seemed to have shut down the film. This time, it's on a budgetary nature. Something isn't quite there. Um, it's just, I, I don't think it's ever going to get made. To be honest with you, and it's the the. First World War Z was brilliant. I thought it was fantastic. It was one of the most groundbreaking zombie films there were. Um, Brad Pitt um, stars in it and he produced it as well. And it, yeah, it was fantastic. And and David David Fincher is supposed to be uh, on board to direct. Um, what what is going to happen with this film? It's just completely unknown. It, it's been about what, nearly ten years, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, would you like to see another World War Z? I haven't actually seen the original. Oh. Um, it's it's a film that I've looked at, I've read the synopsis many, many times, and I'm like, Brad Pitt, blah, 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 sounds great. Zombies, no. Um, but it's, it's something... It's, it's a, great. You know, I've heard, I've heard good things about it, um, so maybe I'll have to check it out. Maybe my watching it might inspire them to somehow get their act together and pump out a second one. It would be quite funny if by next week the news is that they've actually begun shooting it. Yeah. Um, because you've watched it. That'd mm. be quite entertaining. But, oh, yeah. What's your other news, David? And in other news, Hawaii considers raising the legal smoking age to 100 years old. And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So it's now time for our next review and we will be looking at Second Act. So what is this film about? Well, Jennifer Lopez stars as Maya, a 40-year-old woman who is struggling with frustrations from unfulfilled dreams. Her life, however, is quickly turned upside down when she unexpectedly lands a huge new job. This new role proves that it is in fact never too late for a second act. However, it does mean that Maya's professional and personal life will never be the same again. Before we jump into our review, let's have a little listen to a clip. Dilly! Do not move. Did you create a Facebook page for Maya? And do not lie. Yes. Okay, that was easy. But it wasn't just Facebook. Okay, give me some credit. This is a work of art. I mean, I'm, I gave you a completely new identity. You've got your own Wix site, and it's got social and corporate. What? Why, Dill? Well, for your birthday. I mean, you said you wanted to be fancy, so I just, like, Cinderella'd your ass. Oh, oh, oh. I, I was going to use your porn name, but you don't even use your legal name anymore, so... My porn name? Yeah, yeah first, first pet, first street. Mine's Fluffy Valley. So uh, <laughs> that clip is actually one of the more funnier parts of the film. Mm. And there, there is actually lots of funny parts to the film. Um, it, it, but to me, the film feels a little bit confused. It feels like it wants to be a comedy. It feels like it wants to be a very serious drama as well. And it also wants to be a bit of a Christmas film, um, a holiday sort of style film. And it just, all these different parts sort of clash together and not... It, Every single part of those elements, they're average mm. and combined together should maybe lift it up a little bit and make it a fantastic film. But it doesn't. There's something really wrong with the film. The good elements, I'll pick up those first. So Jennifer Lopez, Jenny from the block, she's great. Like she is brilliant. Um, she makes this film. She she's come a long way from her beginning sort of in, in terms of acting career. 
she's putting everything into this film. She's taken a script that's relatively weak and um, rises it up into something actually quite good in terms of what she's talking about, what her dialogue, etc. It's just a shame that the story is a little bit down in terms of these twists and these turns that are pretty predictable at times, but also a little bit far-fetched mm. and leads me to believe that it's just not very believable. Whereas at certain times, it was believable. So they're going down that road where I'm I'm taking it in, I'm believing everything that's being said, and then all of a sudden they throw something in there where you're like, what? Mm. I don't believe that. And, and one of those examples then <laughs> is uh, when um, Jennifer Lopez's character, um, Maya, is working now for this new company and she has to create a new product. And this product is going to be an all-in-one, essentially. And how can they do that? Well, she actually realises that there's a plant in her house called... Uh, it's a, ging, a, ging, a ginkgo plant, is that what? So it was something, Something yeah. from Japan, was it? And yeah. uh, apparently this tree that was planted uh, in Hiroshima, actually, um, <laughs> happened to be infused with a nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and therefore had the ability to block out the SPF or uh, the sun rays, basically, when combined <clears throat> somehow into into this product that they're making. Yeah, now, so they, they, they wanted to make this green product um, and instead of making three they made one and, and, and this plant that somehow had survived Hiroshima and had also absorbed nuclear radiation could therefore work as a sunblock I mean sort of totally bizarre and weird plot writing possibly scientifically capable but just seemed mm. so ridiculously far-fetched that it was like this is poor writing, yeah, in, yeah. in a sense, isn't it? It was like, here's, here's, here's a plant that happens to be in my kitchen that survived Hiroshima. It's like, okay, wasn't expecting that. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Craig, in, in regards to this film. I mean, Jennifer Lopez is superb in it. I think she's brilliantly cast, um, and I think she plays the role really, really well. I think you take her out of the, out of the equation, you, you've not really got a lot. Like you said, the plot is very predictable. Um, the script is at, at times bad. Um, some of the humour is definitely on point, but some of it misses. It's got a sort of, I would say, a 50-50 strike rate. Um, although the cinema I was in um, was full of women and they were laughing a lot more than, than I was. And, and like other films, actually, I laughed at bits they didn't laugh at. And I think that's very telling that um, male and female humour is different. Um, and I could appreciate some of the female humour obviously didn't laugh, but there was a few bits in there, particularly the jokes targeted at men about how bad men are that, that made me laugh. Um, I mean, I wanted to love this film. You know, it's that it's, it's not really a rom-com, but it's that sort of chick flick. Um, I wanted it to be like Devil Wears Prada, which I adore. And I wanted to sort of, I wanted it to be my guilty pleasure. You know, Jennifer Lopez, popcorn, you know, I wanted to love it. I couldn't. And then another part of me wanted to hate it. I wanted to come on here and roast it. Um, but again, I can't. It's it's you can't love it and you can't hate it. This is the most average film ever. It really <laughs> in, is in isn't the history it? of films. I mean, let me put it into perspective. Rotten Tomatoes critics forty five percent, audience fifty percent. That sums it up. You know, it's not a film that you can give an awful review to. It's not a film you can give a great review to. It's just very average. For me, it's the ready meal of the film world. <laughs> so, 
you know, a ready meal, it, it does the trick. It's quick, it's efficient, it tastes okay, but it's not the real thing. You know, if you get a ready-made shepherd's pie, it's okay, but you, it's not your mum's homemade shepherd's pie from scratch. It's just ping, there it is, it's done. This is literally going to the cinema, ping, Jennifer Lopez is cooked, have your ready meal, now please exit the theatre quietly. It, it, it's, it's just not, it's, it fills you up, but it's not, the home it's not, it's not what you, satisfying no no it's not the it's not your mum's homemade shepherd's pie which is what devil wears prada is that's a real slow cooked delicious well seasoned meal and this mm. is just ping you know it's it, it's it's mass produced monkey grub mm. i mean there's one scene in particular that i that took me by surprise and that was the dove scene Oh yeah, that really took me by surprise. I was not expecting that, and it, it felt like it well didn't belong in this mm. film at all. Which actually, incidentally, happened something like similar happened to me this last week when mm. I was driving uh, down a fifty mile an hour road. A, a pigeon <laughs> decided to fly out in front of the vehicle and splat. It, it was gone. It was the most yeah. devastating thing to ever happen to me. I've never hit a bird, any kind kind of animal before, and it was um, actually a real shock. Yeah, so they do have that. That's what I mean about the missing humour. So they do have this scene where they release these doves, you know, these beautiful white doves, and then, bang, they get hit by a truck. And, you know, it's not really that funny. It's a bit like, okay, so we've just seen, you know, five wonderful birds explode. It's that kind of slightly... It's just very robotic, very predictable, and it's just very, very, very average. Mm. Ping. So, David, second act... Is it worth it? No. Um, you know, I, I genuinely don't think this is worth seeing in the cinema. I think there are, are better things to see out at the moment. Um, it, it's possibly worth seeing if you're an unlimited card holder, um, just because you can see all of the films. Um, but no, for me, and, unless you're going as a group, you know, maybe four or five girls going to see it on a girly night out. But f- in terms of, you know, just a regular film to go and see, I, I just don't think it's... It's very forgettable. Yeah. I don't think it's worth going to the cinema either. I think it's it's something that would go on Netflix. It's better than a Netflix original that sometimes can be quite naff, um, but it's not quite cinema quality material that you can, mm. you know, warrant spending however much it would be to see in a standard screen. You're like, you're like now, 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 now you do the podcast, you're, you're famous. You know, you don't even know how much it is to go into the cinema. I bet you don't even know how much a pint of milk <laughs> well, is, come do you, on. Craig? Since, since having the unlimited card, who looks at how, how much How much prices? is a pint of milk, then? How much Mister? is a pint of milk? <laughs> oh, Christ, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. That's what they do to celebrities, isn't it? Yeah. You're detached from reality. How much is a pint of well, milk? Well, it's about £1.25, isn't it, for a pint of milk? Who buys milk, anyway? Me. Well, I drink black coffee. Well, you like an like ice americano that you've got there as well. I don't like cereal. Protein shakes. I drink those. Do you? Yeah. Do you need them? Well, I go to the gym now, don't I? Oh, yeah. Sorry, we've gone way on a tangent here. Way off. What, why way are we off. talking about the price of milk? Um, oh, yeah, we were talking about the price of cinema tickets. Well, no. See, how, how much do you think a, a cinema ticket costs? Then? Like, you, you haven't looked at the cost of £11.70 for an adult at Cineworld. Is it really? Have you got yeah. that up on the... On no, the... I'm pretty sure off the top of my head it's £11.70, and I think it's £14.70 for IMAX. Oh. Okay, we're going to look that up, and later on <laughs> in the show, we will confirm how much a standard price ticket is. It doesn't matter. Is. Yes, it, it does. Well, 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 You've challenged me. Let me finish. It doesn't matter if it was a pound or 20 pounds. This is not worth seeing. All right, yeah, I agree. It's not worth seeing. <laughs> Hold up. 
Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, it's now time for Cinema at Home. Uh, this is the point of the show where we re- recommend films that are on streaming services or available to buy and download. Uh, on this week's uh, episode, I'm going to be taking a look at uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Dave is going to be looking at IO, and then we'll recommend some films after that. So Velvet Buzzsaw, this is a Netflix original film. Um, it came out about a couple of days ago, uh, and the film is about um, some paintings by an unknown artist that are discovered um, and super fo- supernatural forces seem to enact revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of the art. And uh, it's starring Jake Gyllenhaal, um, and she, he stars alongside Zane Ashton. So if those of you who might know Zane Ashton, she was in a Channel 4 series. Uh, I can't remember the name of the TV series, but it was the one where they all go to university. It's supposed to be very funny. Didn't expect to see her in a Netflix original mm-hmm. movie starring alongside Jake Gyllenhaal, let's put it that way. Um Anyway, so this film morphs from a satirical look at the art world into a rather old school haunted horror. And I found it found it rather reminiscent of um, an old Goosebumps story um, shot this time now with high end Hollywood cameras and Hollywood actors in, 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 in the film. And where a Goosebumps story for children is actually rather entertaining and, and rather good and enjoyable, this adult version was essentially rather lame um it has a director um the director is dan gilroy and he's worked with Gyllenhaal before uh, in nightcrawler which was actually pretty good um but this just unfortunately just didn't work it just was very as i said lame um there's a reason probably why this is a netflix original and has gone straight to netflix um it's just not great at all and i think netflix are pumping out a lot of films each week as you can see with david going to be doing io next and that's another netflix original um there's there's a couple of other films that have recently come out was closer which we'll probably take a look at next week Mm. um they're just pumping them out amazon prime seem to be way behind in pumping out these films woody allen was supposed to be doing loads of films that were going to go straight to amazon prime they were supposed to go some of them to the cinema i think he's been axed (laughs) he has been axed after one while behind it's just very strange but anyway yeah, don't watch this film. Don't bother streaming this one. Uh, Dayo, uh, David, Io. Uh, thank you, Craig. Yeah, so I decided to have a look at Io. Like you said, it's a Netflix original. I've seen it there in the under the Netflix original um, banner, and I thought I'll take a look at it. I was really excited to see this film. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic film. I love this kind of film. I don't know what it is, if it sort of plays to my sort of quite dark nature, but I like seeing things go wrong, the world ending. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it makes very entertaining viewing... Uh, And it plays with that part of our mind that wonders what is the end of the world going to be like. Um, But in this film, Sam, who's played by Margaret Qualey, is one of the last survivors on a post-cataclysmic Earth. Um, She's a young scientist who's basically dedicated to finding a way for humans to adapt and survive rather than to abandon their world. Um, Almost all human survivors uh, have left and started a new life in space on Io, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Um, however, with the final shuttle set to leave the planet um, for this distant Connolly, her determination to stay is rocked by the arrival of another survivor, Mika, who's played by Anthony Mackie. So that's the synopsis. You've got Sam, who's this scientist who wants to stay on Earth and and find a way for life to survive and adapt. And then Mika, who comes actually quite bizarrely into her life on a hot air balloon. Um, okay. and, and she's living basically at the top of a mountain where 
Um, there seems to be enough oxygen for humans to survive. And beneath the mountain, there's this sort of dark cloud lingering over the cities and towns. Um, and Mika arrives, and he's a very stoic character, um, played by Anthony Mackie. And he, he sort of arrives, and he basically says that he's here to rescue her, that he's heard uh, a radio transmission from her father, and that the last shuttle is leaving, and that it's right for her to, to be saved. Uh, and he he does a number of things, you know. He 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 recites Plato to her, and uh, he's this really sort of wise character that works, but doesn't work at the same time. Um, the real problem with this film isn't necessarily the acting, because the acting's not bad at all. It isn't necessarily the plot. It's it's impossible for the film to get across its message in this period of time. You know this film needs to be like a six-part series because it it feels so rushed it's only an hour hour and a sorry an hour and a half long and I remember watching it and halfway through pausing it thinking blimey I'm 50 minutes in not a lot has actually happened it goes from really slow quite enjoyable character development to then really rushed scenes and it feels like this was pitched as a six-part series, and someone said, yeah, I quite like the idea, make it in a film in an hour and a half. So it feels like they've taken all of this subject matter and squeezed it into an hour and a half, which means they try and do loads and actually end up getting nothing completed at all. Um, it's 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 a bit, it's a difficult watch, um, and it's one that I would recommend people watch for re- a re- reviewing purpose. You know, if you're if you're <laughs> yeah. if you're a listener to the show, give it a watch and let me know what you thought. But for your average person, no, it's quite slow, uh, and it tries to do too much in too little too little a time. Mm. Okay, so those are the the main film reviews that we've taken upon ourselves to, to review this week. Uh, recommendations. Um, I've actually got two. I was going to have one, but the other one is so. The first one is Lego Movie. Next week. The Lego Movie 2 is out. If you haven't seen Lego Movie 1, it's now available on Now TV, and I would highly recommend you watch it. It's it's great. It's a really, really good film. Um, and with Lego Movie 2 coming out, um, it's probably worth watching that one first before you go and see that. Um, and I promise you, if you haven't seen the first one, you will want to see it before seeing the second one, and it will make you want to go and see the second one, essentially. Um, the other film is Book Club. We reviewed that on uh, last year's show, show on season one, and we were both really pleasantly surprised with that film. Um, it's a bit of a rom-com, um, you know, so if you want something to sit down that's a bit, something that you don't really need to think about, don't need to put much effort into, it's a really good film, and that is also available on Now TV. I'm going to recommend one film which is available on Netflix. Last week in the news I said that Netflix were doing a new Oscars category. This film is in that category and it is Milk. Um, It stars Sean Penn and it's a biopic about the openly gay San Francisco politician Harvey Milk. Uh, It also stars Josh Brolin. It's directed by Gus Van Sant. Um, It's a really superb performance by Sean Penn, one of his best performances. Josh Brolin's brilliant in it as well. It's a very powerful film, beautifully made, um, and really, really worth watching. If you've not seen Milk, uh, it's on Netflix at the moment. I would really recommend uh, checking it out. Okay, so that is Cinema at Home. Is it worth it? Cinema at Home. So it's time for our final review on this week's show, and this one is Escape Room. Uh, This film is about a group of strangers who come together and take on the ultimate and most mysterious escape room. 
Let's take a listen to a clip. <laughs> Hello? Well, what a clip. Um, David, you don't have your phone on you to do the, uh, the trumpet sound, so with your mouth, please. <laughs> I could have just found a clip off the internet and, in, and inserted that. Oh, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> and said I got you to do the trumpet. <laughs> and you got me on clip as well. I mean, who's going to kick off, me or you? Well, let me just say, I, I walked out of this film thinking... And saying audibly, um, what the hell was that? What a shambles. What did I just watch? I mean, it was ridiculous. It was it was terrible. Let's just say that straight away. Absolutely. I mean, it deserves a trumpet. We'll have my trumpet. We'll put, a, put another audio trumpet now. Right now, you can play a real trumpet because this deserves a double trumpet. This was really, really bad, Craig. I mean, it was bad... In every respect, the plot was ridiculous. The script was awful. Some of the acting was awful. Um, the way it was shot was very uninventive. And it was just like, almost like we've got here a couple of tripods in the corner and get on with it. Um, the, uh, and the plot was ridiculous. You know, had a real sort of sore theme. So the general idea is, you, you know, you're in a room, you've got to escape it. Uh, and the winner gets £10,000, which or $10,000, which is a really small sum of money, actually, when you think of the horrifying tasks that they go through. Not that they realise that they're going to go through these really horrifying tasks. They turn up at this sort of old, is it a building site? sort of An old office block. Of an old sort. office block that's, that's empty. Yeah. But yet somehow in this old office block, they've got this huge maze of escape rooms that aren't, you know, just normal rooms. They, they have huge drops. There's ice chambers, there's ovens, there's fire. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's utter nonsense. There's nothing believable about it. The characters aren't very likable. Um, it's really bad stuff, uh, I'm afraid. I, I, I mean, the scores on Rotten Tomatoes aren't that bad. I mean, 58% from the audience, 48% of critics. Um, I suspect it's just come out, those numbers will change. But for me, it was just really poor. There was one scene in particular that I thought was just hilarious. I thought it was great, but also terrible at the mm. same time. And it's where two remaining survivors are somehow um, in this room and through the power of osmosis <laughs> are able to become high off some, some kind of hallucinogenic. So they sort of touch something and it sort of goes into their bloodstream through mm. their hands. And for us to experience what they're sort of going through, the camera sort of goes into this, what I would call it a Snapchat filter of some yeah, sort. And yeah. their faces are completely warped and it's all over the place and it's just flashing lights all over the place. So if you're going to watch this film, for whatever reason, if you're epileptic in mm. any way, please 
close your eyes for this bit because it, yeah, it or don't trigger. go, don't or, bother, yeah, or just don't bother. But um, it it was bizarre, and we were actually laughing at that bit because it was mm. so bad. Yeah, I remember both of us literally laughing out loud because it was just so terrible. It was it was awful, you know. And to put it into perspective, one of the rooms is sort of or one of the escape rooms is built around the idea of an elevator shaft. Um, and remembering they're in an office block, one of our characters, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a plot spoiler. Unfortunately, falls down the elevator shaft, but it's like she's fallen off the edge of the universe. You know, it just goes on, and you just ah ah, you just hear her voice going, and then you know, about a minute later, you just hear a thud, a thud at the yeah. bottom. It's like where are they? How is this all happening? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's it's an intriguing concept, to be honest with you, mm. but it's just been utterly and uh, poorly executed. And I and and you know I've done escape rooms before, so this I mean is nowhere near the reality of what an escape room can mm. do for you. It's it's intense when you're doing a real escape room, but you're literally going through padlocks trying to. Mm decode the padlocks and there's always a decent story when you go through this this room but mm. however you're going through these rooms here and they are built using some kind of futuristic technology mm. that pushes the realms of believability yeah so t- t- temperatures they go from the first escape room which is almost like a, a full you know the room becomes an oven that was actually quite believable in that yeah. sense it you you know that actually Other than they would have all been cooked to, to death yes but the technology <laughs> would have existed for that to actually happen but however when you get down into the next couple of rooms yeah ridiculous. One, you walk out and it's like you've gone through uh, the wardrobe into narnia yeah and yeah. the way that they try to get themselves out of that room as well where they had an ice cube with a key in it yeah and the only way they can defrost that ice cube apparently is with their hands and that's just utterly stupid mm. with their hands they have a wooden boat somewhere that they know is is, is in this little forest that they're they're suddenly they're suddenly in and they could have just used that and smashed it to pieces there's yeah, like six of them it's, it's, what's wrong with you the script is just terrible it's just so poorly executed you you're the whole time you're thinking what are you doing this is so simple to get yourself out of this room mm. You know, it just poured. Yeah, everything. so I mean, so like Craig said, I mean, you've got this key which is hidden within this huge block of ice, probably a you know a foot wide, a foot deep, foot tall, and they're holding it with their hands to melt it. Which you know we know if you put your, your hands are very warm, will melt ice, but it will also give you frostbite. You know, your your hands are going to become incredibly cold, incredibly fast. They're in an environment where everything is icy, so the air temperature. We don't know what the air temperature would have been if that was below freezing. You know, it, it just very, very poor. People drown. People fall off the edge of the planet. Um, people get high. Uh, and then, I mean, the worst thing about the film, Craig, is is the ending. Um, the ending is terrible. But then there's a twist. And that's even worse. And then there's a third twist. And it's so disappointing. It really is one of the worst films I've yeah. seen. It's worse than uh, Insidious, The Last Key. It's worse than, in my opinion, than Holmes and Watson. Because Holmes and Watson's a comedy and it's a bad comedy, but it doesn't take itself seriously. This tries to be like a sore thriller and it's just bad, bad, bad. Mm. I mean, the, the, as you said about the ending there, they left it on the possibility of having a sequel and it's it's like almost it, it was reminiscent of power rangers like the bad guy hiding <laughs> in the shadows it was like what the hell yeah no it, way it, it had a real low budget feel it was it was a real stinky it was, stinky film it was low budget but 
I have to add to admit, it worked quite well in terms of the way it was somewhat shot in certain elements. They did a good job for a low budget. And I think some of the futuristic CGI, possibly like, what you know, the technology that they were trying to say that they're utilising here but, was quite interesting. And the way it was executed in, in that sense, like, um, you know, for a film on that budget, it could have been so much better. But it has to be believable. First, for, for a film like this to work, we have to have likable characters. We oh, didn't. Yeah. We have to have a believable plot. We didn't. You know, one of the rooms where the ice room, there was a, a river flowing underneath the room, you know, covered in solid ice. Where was this water coming from? Where was it all being stored? It was, it was just nonsense. Uh, I really can't talk about this film anymore because it was just terrible. Was it worth it then, David? No. <laughs> Ask me the question. Escape room, escape room. Is it worth it? Uh, no. <laughs> this this is a really bad film, in my opinion. It's not worth seeing in the cinema. It's not worth streaming. Um, I'm shocked that it's got um, such high scores on Rotten Tomatoes. For me, it's one of the worst films I've seen since doing the podcast. I thought it was really terrible. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Not worth seeing. Not worth buying. Not worth streaming. Not worth seeing at any point at any <laughs> stage in your life. It's terrible. And I, I have to agree, it is one of the worst films that we have seen since doing this podcast. And we've seen some absolute stinkers. Mm. And as you said, Holmes and Watson, that was really bad. Yeah. This is worse. This really is worse. Yeah. Don't go and see it. Yep. Yeah. Can't agree more. Very bad. Thank you very much for listening to week 28 of the Film Review Podcast. Now, before we let you know what's coming up over the next few weeks, we have some messages to read out. And we asked you if there was something in a film that bugged you. Um, was there some kind of plot hole, continuity error that you just couldn't get over? And the response that we had was really good. Um, the two, the two uh, that I really liked uh, most were from Elski, who thought the scene at the end of Titanic was most annoying. Uh, as they both could have fit on the door. David, I think you might dispute this a little bit. Uh, I think scientifically, yes, they could have uh, committed a balancing act with one on one <laughs> end of the door and another on the other end of the door. But I think the whole idea of the film was that Jack sacrificed himself for Rose. I will say one thing that has always bugged me um, about my favourite film of all time. Rose actually says, I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. And then actually lets go of him and he just drifts into the black abyss. What she's actually saying is, I'll never let go of the promise. Um, but then she, la she physically lets go of him. That has always slightly bugged me. Mm -hmm. As well as the door bit, I suppose. But still the best film ever made. <laughs> uh, we had another one from Kerry, who thought the scene in Pretty Woman where Vivian is shouting at Edward was most annoying. Um, anyway, you two have both won yourself two tickets to Cineworld Cinemas. Uh, David, do you have an email to read out? Yes, I do. The email is from Daryl. It's quite a long email, but I really enjoyed reading it. It says, Hi guys, just got in from seeing Vice. Certainly a gripping film, especially for those old enough like me to remember the last 50 years of American presidents. The act the acting was excellent, especially Christian Bale, who was superb as Dick Cheney, helped by brilliant hair and makeup. The supporting cast was also great, particularly Amy Adams as the determined and supportive wife. I enjoyed Steve Carell's interpretation of an odious Donald Rumsfeld and Sam Rockwell as the dim and not really in charge George Bush. However, it is Bale who dominates the film, uh, which always moved with a good pace 
as well as a good sense of black humour and satire. Anyone expecting the film to be a balanced look at what motivated Dick Cheney to public service in politics will be disappointed because the interpretation of events and its motivation is very left-wing. The second half of the film was in many ways simply revisiting uh, the view that the Bush administration, but this time in effect run by Cheney, misled the people in order to justify the Iraq war and furthermore caused the rise of ISIS. Despite the bias, Cheney, in my review, emerged as a skilled and thoughtful politician using the political system to do what he felt was right. Politics is a complex and messy business in which holding uh, fast to principles is difficult. Uh, the reality is surely that both the right and the left use political tactics and play political games. Definitely worth seeing and a film which will provoke thought and political disagreement. Uh, keep up the good work, letting all your listeners know what is worth going to see on a cold winter's evening. Regards, Daryl. Um, thanks, Daryl. It's a great email. Uh, you have also won yourself a couple of tickets. And yeah, it's a really brilliant analysis of the film and also you know i tend to agree with that idea that dick cheney is smart you know he whether you agree with him yes or no he used the system and eked as much power from the vice presidency as possible and one of our regular listeners pete fugel also emailed in uh, unfortunately we can't read your email out pete but he said a very similar thing to daryl and really enjoyed it um, he did say that he was going to wait for it to come out on dvd but was delighted he didn't and he was very happy to see it in the cinema and recommends it Yes, uh, so thank you to everyone who uh, inputted themselves into this week's episode. Um, if you'd like to win some tickets, then all you need to do is send us a message or email telling us what you thought about the latest films you saw in the cinema. It can be any cinematic release or a film you recently saw on a streaming service. So if we read it out and we like your message, you'll get two tickets to any Cineworld in the UK. Now, these tickets will be valid for six months and can be redeemed on any type of screen, including IMAX, Super Screen, and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So... How can they get in contact with us, David? The email address? My mail is worth it at isitworthitpodcast.com. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> the Twitter is at filmisworthit. Uh, the Instagram is at isitworthitpodcast. And if you're on Facebook, you can search for us. Just search Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Um, if you're subscribed and enjoying the show, please rate us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts and share it with all your friends and family. It really does help us. Um, yeah, so coming up on week 29 week 29 we have an interview with radio broadcaster and podcaster jeff lloyd uh we'll be talking all things film and jeff will be letting us know what he thought of a film he saw in the cinema this week and if it was worth it mm -hmm. what films have we got coming up on week 29 david so as always craig it will be an action-packed show and we will be reviewing the lego movie 2 if beale street could talk elita battle angel Boy Erased and All Is True. Kenneth Branagh starring as William Shakespeare. Craig loves Shakespeare. He loves Kenneth Branagh. I know he's already seen this film. Uh, I haven't, but we are both very excited to bring you all of those reviews. Um, before we do go, there was one last message uh, on Twitter from The Gaming Bear. Uh, and he, he brought us some sad news that the raccoon that inspired Guardian of the Galaxy's rocket raccoon unfortunately passed away. Uh, Oreo was nearly 10 years old uh, and he has passed. And the gaming bear, uh, who's uh, one of the better bears in the, uh, in the universe, reminded us of this on Twitter.